Okay, we are we are in Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. Okay, and you might recall because this is actually the the third time we're talking about Genesis chapter 16. Just let me give you the context here. Sarai, the wife of Abraham, could have no children. She could not bear children. And she did not realize that it was through her that Isaac was to be born. And so she took her Egyptian handmaid and she gave the handmaid to Abram. His name wasn't yet Abraham. His name doesn't become Abraham until Genesis chapter 17. But she took her handmaid and she said, have her bear children and, and, and you take her as a wife. And she did that. He did that and, and uh, took, took uh, Hagar as a wife. She conceived. And it says in verse 4, and he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. So she looked in a despising way toward Sarai because now she was pregnant and Sarai, of course, was not. So Sarai became very mean to her, and she runs off. And then, then uh, as she ran away, she is confronted by the angel of the Lord, it says. And this angel of the Lord is actually the pre-incarnate Christ. This angel of the Lord is a physical appearance of God himself. And we know that by the context of what she says. This word, angel of the Lord, is used about 58 times uh, in the Old Testament, and in each one of those cases, it's talking about a physical person appearing to them. The angel of the Lord appears to her. So remember, this is Hagar. She's an Egyptian slave. And the whole context that we're talking about here is now we're talking about the family of Abram. But God focuses in on an Egyptian slave. And what we're going to look at today is God's mercy upon the Gentile. God's mercy upon the non-Jew and God's mercy upon the woman in particular. So when women say, oh, the Bible is so sexist, sexist, you do not know what you're talking about. All right? This happens. Sometimes people don't know what they're talking about. Sometimes people tell me chemical things, and they're clueless. They don't know what they're saying, and I have to correct them. So let me correct you today. The Bible is not sexist. It's only because you don't understand. That happens all the time in chemistry, too. One day I was, I was going out to speak in a church, and the guy said, what do you do? I said, I'm a chemist. He says, oh, chemist. I don't know anything about chemistry. The only thing I know about chemistry is water, HBO, water. I mean, so, you know, people just sometimes don't know a whole lot about a particular subject. All right. The Bible was always radical when it came to talking about women in positive ways. For its time, it was exceedingly radical. And that's what we're going to see today. Here is this Gentile woman. And she comes in, and, and it says in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 16, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Okay, so we talked about this last time, how he asked her two questions, where are you coming from, where are you going? She only asked, she only answered where she was coming from. She didn't say where she was going. She was on her way back to Egypt because you can track her route here. Uh, uh, and then he says, you go back and you submit her, yourself to her. So last time we talked about submission to authority. Now let's pick it up in verse 10. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. 
So God promises something to Hagar now. I am going to greatly multiply your descendants so they're going to be too many to even count. The same promise that he gave to Abram concerning the seed son, Isaac, he is now giving to this Gentile Egyptian woman. You talk about mercy. Talk about mercy here. And she was fleeing from her master's home. I mean, just terrific mercy. He says, I'm going to just, just bless your descendants. They're going to be too great to number. In verse 11, and he's, well, let me say again in verse 10, it says, I will greatly multiply your descendants. You see how we know it's the angel of the Lord? It's, it's God pre-incarnate. It's, it's God comes in the person because he says, I will do it. It's not the Lord God will do this. It says, I will do this. I will do it. Remember the, the, when God says, when the word says, I will or I shall. This is, you can just absolutely bank on it. When God says, I will or I shall, it has to happen. It's not like when a person says, oh yeah, I'll do that. They may or may not come. A woman says, okay, I'll take care of it. It may not or may not happen. But when God says, I will, it has to happen. All of heaven and all of earth will move in order to make that happen. Because God's word cannot be nullified. So he says, I will do it. I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Verse 11, then the angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and his name shall be called Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. His name shall be Ishmael, which means God hears, and, and because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. So this coming to her and telling her that you're going to have a male child, and I'm even telling you what his name is. This is super special. We see the same thing happen with John the Baptist. We see the same thing happen with Jesus. With Jesus, it happened before Mary had even conceived Jesus. With John the Baptist, it says it, 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 it said uh, uh, he said the same thing to to uh, to John the Baptist's father, Zacharias. He told him, "You're going to have a, a son, and this is going to be his name, John." This is very special. This is unique to just a few people in the Bible. He comes to this Gentile woman, which any other religion would just forget. But the terrific mercy upon this woman. He says to her, she's wandering in the wilderness, nobody to protect her. He said, you're going to have a son. And his name, his name is going to be God hears, Ishmael. And because he gives heed to your affliction. I mean, so merciful. This guy, Ishmael, is pretty special. We don't, in Christendom, give him a whole lot, of, whole lot of slack here. But he is extremely special. He says, I'm going to call his name, his name is going to be Ishmael. Verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of his brothers. So this wild donkey, there were wild donkeys that, that wandered that region. It was not a derogatory sense. You know, we, we look at this in a derogatory way. He will be a wild donkey of a man. This is, just means he's going to be a nomad. He's going to be wandering around. And that's what the descendants, the Arab descendants of Ishmael were. They were all nomads and they were going all over. And it says he will be, his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. And what the Arab, the, these, these Arab nomads were known for is that they would attack people and they would take their riches when they're traveling through the desert, and then cities would gang up and come against them because they didn't like this sort of quote-unquote piracy. But he's predicting this before the kid is even born. 
and he will live to the east of his brothers. So if you look at where, where Canaan is now, where the Israel is now, you've got all the way to, you've got the east and the southeast. That's all where, where the Arab populations are. And he says, I'm going to bless him. I'm going to bless Ishmael. He's going to be an amazing, amazing person. You won't be able to count his, his, his descendants. And, and it's interesting that he said, he said here, I'm going to take care of this kid. So remember, this comes out of a lapse of faith by Abram. Abram had a lapse of faith to not trust God, even though God had not said Sarah is going to be the one that's going to bear your child. It's considered, as we look at this in the scriptures, a lapse of faith. Nonetheless, the Lord blessed this person. The Lord didn't say, oh, well, this is an unwanted pregnancy. Just terminate it. He didn't. Wherever you stand on right to life, that's up to you. I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. The Lord could well have terminated that pregnancy. It's not going to be a loved child, you know. A loved child shouldn't be born. An unloved child shouldn't be born. No, directly, he says, I'm going to bless this kid. I'm going to bless this child. You never see the termination of this pregnancy. You never see the termination of any pregnancy. Even though the child may, may, have, may have come out of a, a, a wrong relationship. Never terminated this child. And you say, well, they, they weren't able to terminate children back then. Oh, yes, they were. You can read about, you can read about the techniques that were used. They weren't pleasant but they had all sorts of techniques. All right, so, and he will live to the east of his brothers. Verse 13, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are my God who sees. For she said, I have even remained alive here after seeing him. After seeing him, I've remained alive. God appears. This is the first appearance of God in the flesh. He appears to a Gentile woman. How is that for kindness? When Jesus rose from the dead, the first woman that he appeared to was a woman who he had delivered from, from prostitution had been filled with seven demons. It was Mary Magdalene. The first person that he appeared to was Mary. You talk about mercy. You talk about him going contrary to the time. That's why I say if you think the Bible is sexist, you don't know. You just don't know. It was radical for its time. Let's look at some, some other passages about Jesus. So we're going to look at some other passages about, about Jesus. So if we look at, um, turn, turn to um, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at, at in, in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at um, uh, the portion starting at verse 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The genealogy of Jesus. So this is the genealogy of Jesus. So there are two genealogies of Jesus. There's one genealogy, which is his line concerning Joseph which is not his, his real father anyway. His father is God. And then there's the line in Luke, which considers the line according to Mary, who is his real mother, Mary. So this is the, 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 the line that, that, is, that is, is, is going through according to Joseph. And it starts in verse 1. Then the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez by Zerah, by Tamar. T -t Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. And Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. 
Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. So when you look in this record, the Bible is full of of genealogies, loves genealogies. If you don't like genealogies, your taste is corrupt. God likes genealogies, okay? And he gives us genealogies because this is really important because he made a promise in Genesis that, that this seed of Abraham will be, through that seed, the Messiah will come. That's why he over and over again gives us genealogies. We can track the actual history of Jesus right on back. After Jesus, you don't see any history of genealogies among the Jews. All that was destroyed in 70 AD. But we, because the Messiah was born, we don't need it after that. But here, the Messiah came. And there's, only, there's four women mentioned. Most genealogies are just men. The father, his father was this, his father was this, his father was this. But here, he lists four women. And four particular women. Every one of these four women is a Gentile woman, a non-Jew. Every one of them is a non-Jew. And every one of them had some sort of sexual struggle or sexual corruption in their lives. And you go, why would God do that? Why do you think he would do that? Why would he do that? That in the line of our Messiah, there would be these four women named and he would, he would carry out the, the, this sort of thing, this sort of, of, of carry these sort of women right on into naming them. He doesn't try to put them aside and say, oh, don't look at this. No, he brings them right out in the front because so many struggles are in the sexual realm that God has mercy on us. God has mercy on us. God has mercy on both men and women. What's interesting in the Bible, the women's sexual struggles are there. The men's sexual struggles are there in the Bible too. But they're not focused upon because society looks at men and women differently in the sexual realm when they have sexual difficulties. A lot of times with men, they'll think, wow, he's you know, quite a Casanova here. And of the women, they'll, they'll think, oh, you know, she's a prostitute. You know, it's so one-sided in society, the way they're viewed upon. And so he goes through, and you look at this, there were some prominent women in, women in the Bible, like Sarah. Sarah's not even mentioned here. He mentions four women, all of them Gentiles, none of them Jews, and, and let's track them here. It says, it says that uh, um, uh, Judah, in verse 3, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Who was Tamar? Tamar was the wife of two of his sons. So, so Tamar, Tamar was, was uh, uh, he had... Tamar was married to his, his, his oldest son. That son died. Then Tamar married the next son, which was the way, and that son died. And Judah was like, there in another one of my sons, but he was supposed, she was supposed to have gotten the son. She dressed up as a prostitute. She ended up sleeping with her father-in-law, Judah. You talk about nastiness. I mean, it's right there in the Bible. That's what gives me hope. None of us is clean. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That nastiness right here. She ends up sleeping with her father-in-law, gives birth to twins. Those twins' names were Perez and Zerah. Perez then comes in the line. Perez is there in the line. And it goes through. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of, of, of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Why all of a sudden mentioning another mother? Remember what Rahab's name was? Rahab the harlot. She had been a prostitute uh, uh, in the land of Canaan, in Jericho. 
And she was the one who trusted God. God saved her and her family out of the wrath that was coming. She was a prostitute. Rahab had come out of a life of prostitution. And she became, she became in the line of Jesus. Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Who was Ruth? Remember, Ruth was the Moabitess. Constantly talked about her being the Moabitess. The whole land of Moab came out of the ancestral relationship of Lot with his, 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 uh, his, um, young, his oldest daughter. That incestuous relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter gave, gave birth to the Moabites. And that's the tribe that Ruth is from. So, you, you know, think about this. God doesn't try to keep the line pure in the sense of being social purity. He takes people just as they are. That's the merciful thing about God. He doesn't say, oh, you're too dirty for this. You're of the wrong group for this. No, he reaches down right where we are. And he comes and he, and he, he names this, this, this woman uh, 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 Rahab. Then Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Then he names Ruth. And then Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of the king, David. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. So remember, Bathsheba was the woman that David slept with, who was already married. Now, many people think that, you know, she, she had a, a really bad background here. But think about this. She was bathing on the roof of her home, exactly where she should have been bathing, in, in, late in the evening. And David... David's uh, uh, palace was higher on a hill. I'd been to that location. It's up on a hill. So he could look down and see. And he said, who is that person down there? Who's that pretty woman? And when people ask that sort of question, men know what the other man is asking about. And his servants didn't say, oh, that's Bathsheba. They said, that is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the daughter of, and I forget his name, both her husband and her father were David's mighty men. They were out fighting a battle for him. And he goes after this woman. I mean, you see how corrupt that life was in that way. David, the great David who had a great heart for the Lord, had real lapses in his life in the sexual realm in this way. This gives us hope. Because if you've had lapses in this, God loves you. And he can use you mightily. It was this woman, this woman who had been through this. God calls her and puts her in the genealogies. You see how he specifically zeroes right in on these people. Let's turn to the, the, the gospel according, the gospel according to, Matt, to John, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Let's look at this. John chapter 4. And we're going to start reading um, from verse 5. John chapter 4, verse 5. So they came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, bear, uh, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So, so in, in, in Jewish reckoning of time, it was about the noon hour. So Jesus is sitting by the well. His disciples go into town to buy some food. So Jesus is sitting alone by the well in Samaria. You were allowed to leave Jerusalem and go north. You say you, you, you came down from Jerusalem. Actually, Jesus, um, uh, uh, 
Jerusalem is higher. You come down the hill going northward. You come down, you proceed northward. You go through Samaria. Jews were allowed to leave Samaria, leave Jerusalem and walk through Samaria as they're going to Canaan, the, the territory where Jesus was born. Not where he was born. He was born in Bethlehem, where he was raised in, 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 in the land of Canaan. And, and so, so he's going north. You were not allowed to walk from Canaan to Jerusalem the other way around. And, and uh, because the Samaritans hated those who lived in Jerusalem so much, they didn't want anybody coming through their territory who was going toward Jerusalem. And that's why we see that later on in the Bible. They make Jesus divert. And James and John want to call down hellfire on them. And Jesus said, you don't know what kind of spirit you're of. I mean, so all of this makes sense within the Jewish context. So he's sitting there. He's there about the noon hour in verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. So here's this woman at noontime. Women don't come to draw water at noontime unless they have no other women to go with. They draw water when it's cooler in the morning. They draw water in the evening. But they don't draw water at noontime. It is so blazing hot there. So hot, you don't go draw water. But this woman's coming along. She has no women friends. You don't see any, any women friends for her. Women would always draw water together. She has no women friends. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And, uh, um, you know, there's this parenthetical statement in here, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Once my son-in-law, who lives in Jerusalem, he was telling me he was going to Samaria to meet somebody. I said, I thought Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. (laughs) (laughs) So that was was in Bible times. But um, he says, it it says, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since, since I am a Samaritan woman? There's two things that I am which you shouldn't really be dealing with. You shouldn't be talking to me because I am a woman. And we see that further down when his disciples finally came, come back. They're amazed that he was talking to a woman. It wasn't even the Samaritan issue, that he was even just talking to a woman. Alone, he was talking to a woman. She says, I'm a Samaritan I'm, and I'm a woman and you're talking to me. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Why are you talking to me? Jesus didn't care about societal trends. Jesus lived before his father. And Jesus is again reaching out to women. She said, since I am a Samaritan woman. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He said, something special has come in your life today. If you just asked of me, if you asked of me, I'd have given you living water. Just ask this of me. You see how he's trying to take the conversation from this just regular plane and bring it up to a spiritual plane. You will see that I will do this lots of times with people. You know, we'll sit and we'll have a little small talk and all of a sudden I'll ask you, do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? Where'd that come from? I'm just trying to elevate the conversation. Jesus is elevating the conversation here and she doesn't get it. She just doesn't get it. The poor woman is clueless. So Jesus didn't say, oh, look, you idiot. What's wrong with you? No, he just very patiently is working with her. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this, that living water? You see how this, this is a kind of a snide remark? 
oh, come on. You don't have anything to draw water with. I'm the one with the, with the, with the, with the rope and the bucket. You've got nothing here. So where are you going to get the living water? So here she's being sarcastic with Jesus. And Jesus doesn't go, you nasty woman. He didn't. He just patiently is working with her. Patiently dealing with her. So she speaks to him in this sarcastic way. And then she says in verse 12, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle. She said, come on, you're, you're nowhere close to us. You're just a dirty Jew from, from Jerusalem. We're Samaritans. You're not greater than us. You're not greater than our history. So everybody thinks their people group is superior. I'm just telling you. Jews think they're superior. Christians think they're superior. Uh, Muslims think they're superior. Everybody thinks they're superior. And Jesus just blows the whole thing away. He, does, he, doesn't, he doesn't address this type of thing. He just keeps trying to bring her back to a spiritual plane. He's elevating the conversation very patiently. And in verse 13, it, 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 he didn't say, well, actually, I am greater than Jacob. You know, he didn't say that. Verse 13, he says, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. He is speaking of the new life that you get when you come into Christ. When I got saved on November 7th, 1977, my life was changed. I mean, I had a big smile on my face and I didn't even know it. And then one guy said, you're always smiling. I mean, you knew something happened to me. My whole focus changed. I was focused in on the Lord. And I've seen this many, many times. I've seen this a hundred times working with students. When they get saved, when they invite Jesus into their heart, boom. I mean, something happens in their life. And all these strained relationships that they have, the strain starts to go away. All these problems and this anxiety that they have, it starts to lessen. Now, many of you who have grown up in Christian homes and never knew anything of not knowing the Lord, you don't know the change that comes over a person's life when they go from not believing to believing. You're like, wow. I mean, I just wake up in the morning, I want to be with the Lord. Something's different here. Something's changed in me. This is the new life that he's talking about. You drink of this water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. But, but there'll, be, there'll be a well of water springing up to eternal life. Something spiritual is going to happen. He's trying to tell her, i got something great here for you. In verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. I mean, she's being sarcastic again. Okay, you got, you got this, this eternal life water. Give me that water so that way I don't have to come out and carry my bucket here. You see how sarcastic she's being with him? So rude. And again, he just is patiently working with her. And this is what you got to do when you want to witness to people. You've got to just take some shots. For the Messiah, you just take these shots. People will say things about you. They'll be mean to you. And you don't go, well, you can just die and go to hell for all I care. And just walk away. I mean, you could say that. But, but, um, but you just take these shots. When you want to stand for Christ, when you want to stand for the Lord, people will say many things about you. I mean, my colleagues have said many things about me. And, and, uh, and I just, just keep coming at them. Just keep coming at them and, and just try to build a relationship. And I've seen them over time. They, you wear them down. You just keep, you keep being nice to them and it wears them down. 
This is what we're called to do. You see, Jesus just he keeps being nice to this woman. And remember, she is a woman. Most people didn't even bother with women. Let's just talk to the man. And she's a Samaritan. So the racial thing didn't bother him. The, 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 the dealing with a woman didn't bother him. Though it bothered the society, didn't bother him. He was different than society. Remember what I told you. Jesus calls us to be different than society. In verse 16, he says to her, Go call your husband and come here. Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. So she says, I got no husband. And Jesus said, You've correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. You've had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. So you see how he could have said, why you tramp? You've been married five times and now you're living with a guy and you tell me you have no husband. That's what many people would have said to her. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. You know what he did? He took her lie saying, I have no husband, and he turned it into a truth. He said to her, he said to her, uh, um, you, in, ver- in, in, in verse uh, 17, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your ha- husband. This you have said truly. You've said correctly, you have said truly. God took a lie and turned it into a truth. You see what I mean? How merciful that was. You know, she tells a lie and he turns it around. Well, you know, you're kind of right there. You know, how gracious is our God? How kind is He? This woman is just playing these games of sarcasm with Him. And He is being so kind. His kindness is just breaking her down. So He speaks a word of of, of knowledge into her life. And He just turns this lie into a truth. The woman said to Him in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. So all of a sudden she's going to become religious now. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Meaning from the Jewish line is going to come salvation for the entire earth. But an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is a spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, she's starting to get a little religious. And I do this all the time. I start to talk to people about the Lord and they'll say, you know, they'll ask some strange esoteric question that is, is not around the point of what we're trying to get at. And just I'll just bring them right back to where we're headed. Don't get diverted by these things. I'm telling you, people can be great at diverting. Don't get diverted. Just bring them right back. He brings them right. He brings her right back. And then it says, um, in verse 25. In, in verse 25, the woman said to him, "I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us." Jesus said to her, "I who speak to you, am He." 
In fact, if you, if you look at the, the literal word, he says, I am. It's me. I am. The great I am. From the Old Testament, the I am. We don't, we don't see that impact when we're reading this in English. But when you look at it in a direct literal translation, he says, I am. That's me. She said, this was she was right on. When the Messiah comes, he'll reveal everything. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. They were amazed that he was speaking with a woman. You see how anti-cultural this was? This was so anti-cultural. My mother, in, in, in the early 60s, when I went to kindergarten, it was the first year that, that uh, integration started in New York City, in, in, in New York, New York State, the entire state. And, and uh, um, when I went to kindergarten, there was a, 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 at the end of the day, they had us gather around the, the flagpole and we held hands. And I got done and I walked up to my mother because the parents were going to be picking us up from that day. And she said, you were holding a little black boy's hand. And I, was, I didn't even know what she was talking about. And she found the kid and she found his mother and she said, invited his mother and the boy to our home. Invited them over our home. And she befriended that family. And, uh, and then there was another uh, 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 black child in, in the class as well. And she invited him and his mother over to the home as well. And I remember them walking in our house because they had come from the projects. They were busing them in from the projects in New York into this, this school district. And so they would bust them in because they were starting to promote this integration. And there was a story because my mother passed away recently. And so we were talking about stories about my mother and my sister reminded me of a story because I was too young to know it. I was just in my mother's arm at the time. My, my sister is two and a half years older than me. She said that when she, before integration started, they had a big assembly in the gymnasium of the school. And they asked all the parents that are in favor of integration to go on one side. All the parents that are not in favor of integration go on the other side. My mother, who's barely five feet tall, took her three kids in her arms and went, was all alone on one side of the gymnasium. And everybody else was on the other side. My mother was an immigrant and she was making a statement. And I could never understand when I was a kid why whenever we went to the public swimming pool, she would always bring these two little black kids with us. She would always say, to the public swimming pool. And I remember all these people used to look at us when we would come walking into the pool. They'd be staring. And I wonder, why does everybody always look at us? Because we had these two little black kids in tow. She did something that was so contrary to the culture of the time. So contrary. You don't know how contrary that is in the time in which you're growing up. You don't know it. She did this in the early 60s, just when there were race riots breaking out. This is what Jesus is doing. He says to them this, and, and, and his disciples come, and they were amazed that he was speaking to a woman. It wasn't like, oh, he's speaking to a woman. He says they were amazed. It's like, huh? They were amazed he was speaking to a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come and see the man who told me all the things that I have done. That is, that is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and they were coming to him. She went in and she told the men, women don't run and tell men. They run and tell women. Women go around and tell women. And they just go on and on with other women about what they saw. What? What did I do? What? Is that wrong? <laughs> They, they run and tell women. She runs and tell, tells men. 
Why? Because she had no women friends. Because she's had five husbands. She's living with a guy now. A woman who is like that doesn't have women friends. She only has men friends. You take a cocktail waitress. Women look at a cocktail waitress real negatively. Guys don't look at her particularly negatively. They look at her in another way, but they don't look at her particularly negatively. Women judge women very harshly in these realms, particularly in the sexual, the deviant sexual behavior realm. Women judge other women very harshly. She's got no women friends. The only people she can tell are men. Those are the ones she knows. She knows the men and the men know her. So she runs and tells these men and the men run out and see Jesus and eventually they all come to the Lord. The whole group of them come to the Lord and they beg him not to leave. They want more time with him. But you see how radical Jesus is when it comes to going against the culture. Going against the culture. He went right for the, the ethnic minority group. He went right after them, even though the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. They don't deal with them. They had no dealings with them. Then um, uh, he goes right after the woman. Again, men didn't deal with women. Jesus goes right after the woman. This is who our Lord is. And every one of these women had sexual deviant behavior, deviant sexual behavior. Every one of them. So have you been some, through something that you feel I'm too unworthy? God says, welcome into the kingdom of God. Welcome into the kingdom of God. People may judge us. People may judge us, but not the Lord. And I'm telling you, we have all had our struggles in life. Everybody. You are not alone. If you think, I'm, a, you know, I'm just worse than anybody else. You are not worse. Paul the Apostle says he was the worst. You cannot be worse than, than Saul, who became Paul the Apostle. He was the worst. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us he was the worst. Maybe you're the second worst, but you're not the worst. God ministers to us in our pain, in our shame, and he reaches right down to us. This is the love of our Lord. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of it. Jesus, blessed Jesus, blessed be your name. Thank you, Lord, that you reach down to the lowliest of people, to the woman who's the outcast. Father, I pray for the young people here today who do not know you. Father, I pray that you would touch them with this message. The kindness of God, as the Bible says, is the kindness of God that draws men to repentance. Father, I pray that you would just touch their hearts that it would be the kindness of God to draw them this day. Father, for the unbelievers here who do not know you, Father, I pray that they would repeat with me in prayer today, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. I believe Jesus is Lord and I believe he's risen from the dead. And Father, I pray for the believers here that you would so work in their lives, so work in their lives and bless them richly. Let them see what our Jesus was like, how countercultural he was, how he risked his, 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 the way people would look at him because he was so countercultural. Father, because he had the mercy of God in him, the mercy of God. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Glory be to your name. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the glory of God. Amen.